This is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I'm Seahawks insider Stacey Rost here with Jake Heaps, host, quarterback, everything in between. I haven't settled yet on uh, what I think your best title will be. See, quarterback's cool, but Jake, I think you're so much more. <laughs> Thank you, Stacey. I appreciate that. Sometimes people just stereotype, and that's what they think of you Exactly. As. so much uh, more, right? What you are not, but that's okay, is an ESPN NFL prognosticator. You know who is? is Mike Clay, but that doesn't mean that you can't disagree with him. Not all are bad, but so far, Mike Clay, in terms of our show, has not done very well. Mike Clay seems like a nice person. Like, I have no personal issue. It's just he makes arguments that for some reason I've taken issue with, and I feel like a pretty laid-back person. Like, I really only get mad about very minor things Mm. that don't usually matter, right? (laughs) Like, if you go out of your way to go uh, to a Target because the website says something is in stock and then it's not in stock and you get there after driving 40 minutes, then I'll get mad. Uh, To me, that is very reasonable. I would be pretty upset about that as well. I mean, I'm definitely not a can I speak to your manager person. Are are you sure? I am positive. I've never done that in my life. (laughs) Never. (laughs) But I'm just saying. But Mike Clay is is that level. But um, seems like a cool guy. Unfortunately, he uh, he has the kind of unit ranking uh, for all teams. So he does it. He breaks up the secondary and cornerback and safety. But. For this purpose, we'll use just cornerback. The safety isn't especially highly ranked. He grades Seattle's cornerback group as the worst unit in the league right now. Okay, by how much? By quite a bit. I mean, they're all kind of like a, by like a decimal. So like a 3.0 is great. So like Seattle's linebacker group is the best in the league. And say they have, I think, like a 4.0. Interesting. Then that would be the highest of that rating. So the cornerback group has a .1. Ouch. Not very good. <laughs> that's like that's like the lowest score that you can possibly get on this thing as I'm looking at the sheet that you gave me. That's that's brutal. It um, is. So here's my question. We've talked about whether or not the secondary group is as bad as advertised. And, uh, and this isn't just Mike Clay. Pro Football Focus also ranked their secondaries. I think Seattle was like 29 out of 32, so also not great there. But when you're looking at, at Mike Clay's group here, do you totally disagree? Do you think that it's that they've got some promise there? Does any new addition change your mind? Where do you stand with this ranking? Yeah, look, I know that the Seattle secondary has its issues, and it is going to be a massive question mark going into this, but I don't believe that they're the worst defensive back unit in the league. I just I can't get on board with that. I believe Trey Flowers has shown that he is – on his way to becoming one of the better corners in this league. He's got a ton of talent. He's got a ton of versatility. um, And and you just love the length that he has. A really savvy player um, that, again, attacks the ball ball and was converted from strong strong safety to corner and just continued to get better. So why, why would that change? And, again, everything that I've seen from Trey Flowers, he isn't a guy that has been vaulted as the number one guy like Shaq Griffin is that could maybe mess with his psyche I see this as a guy that's pretty steady and is going to continue to make steady progression. Shaq Griffin, to me, is the biggest question mark in this secondary, um, and and he is an established starter. And, yes, there is a there's a safety spot that we don't know who's going to win the job, but Shaq, to me, is the bigger question mark because 
uh, he went from one of the, I would say, upper middle of cornerbacks in his rookie year to t- all the way to the bottom. And how is a guy like that going to respond after he was asked upon him at, by the organization to be the number one corner? And that was the expectation. And that still is the hope, is that Shaq can grow into that role. And so you you have to look at this and go, okay, you hope that he can bounce back and, and really play well. To me, the biggest difference, uh, uh, Bradley McDougald is, again, all pro. I feel great about him. But the guy that makes the difference in this secondary to me is a guy who they just signed, and that's mm-hmm. Deshaun Shedd. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to let you listen to this soundbite that uh, Pete Carroll uh, gives here or earlier today with Brock and Salk about Deshaun Shedd. And I'm gonna I'm gonna explain why I I think that Shed's impact could be drastic. Deshaun Shed's always been a guy that's played both, both positions for us. We've always taught him. It's always why he's been valuable to us because he has utility as well as he's a fantastic special teams player. So, uh, d- just a point about him. He came back. You know, we worked him out a year ago uh, before he signed with the Detroit, and and I didn't feel like he was he was back from the the knee surgery that he had had. He had he made it back because he played for Detroit and played in the league mm-hmm. last year. But the Deshaun Shed that I knew, I didn't see that. This other day we worked him out, he looked great. So, Stacy, let me ask you this. If I told you that we would get pre-torn ACL Deshaun Shed, the gear that he was having two years ago before he tore his ACL and that he was coming back onto this roster healthy, playing great, what would you tell me? Uh, yes, please. <laughs> I, and that's exactly what we're getting in this case. We are getting a guy who, in this group, was a mainstay uh, of this secondary. He wasn't a full-time starter. Uh, he was a he was a big-time contributor to the Legion of Boom. He was but a veteran. But keep in mind, too, that he was participating in, in this group at a time when they had Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, did they have Byron Maxwell at that time, too? They did. They had they had Brandon Browner and Byron Maxwell at different points, but and they had Jeremy Lane, yeah. and, and they had Walter Thurman. Like, they had some great players, and Deshaun Shedd was a guy who worked his tail off to remain on the roster, first and foremost, as a special teams player, as a special teams captain, and no one was more respected on special teams than D. Shedd. Then he played and worked his role into starting rotation and being a starting nickel. And he played that phenomenally well. Two years ago, Stacy, before he tore his ACL, that man was about to get paid by some other team out there in the NFL and get top dollar. That's how well he was playing. And he tore his ACL, and talking to uh, Deshaun today, he said, I feel as great as I've ever felt. And I asked him, what happened with the Lions? Was it the scheme? Was it you know just the environment? Why do you think you didn't play as well? And he's like, honestly, it was the injury. I mean, he admitted to me that it was the injury and the fact that he just wasn't right. He wasn't right, and he admitted that, and Pete Carroll spoke to that in that cut. And he, is, he has gotten a full season of actually preparing. He's been working out hard. Um, he hasn't been rehabbing. He's been working out, preparing himself. So he knows the scheme inside and out. He knows what to expect. He's prepared for it. And so I believe that Shed is going to bring great stability to the secondary where there's so much questions. He could he could uh, start at safety next to Bradley McDougal, and I think he played a great role in that. Or he can take over your nickel cornerback uh, spot and, and you know uh, and and win that if he has the opportunity to compete. So again, I think Deshaun Shed is is going to make this roster and he's going to be a big contributor. And I think that's going to be a key piece 
uh, to solidifying the secondary, and that's why I feel like this group isn't going to be nearly as bad as what Mike Clay is making it out to be. And to Mike Clay's credit, he created the list on the 23rd, so it was before Seattle added Deshaun Shedd, but I I don't know that that would have affected it so much because Deshaun Shedd, and it didn't have like a standout year last year with Detroit. No. Although, again, Pete Carroll in that clip mentions that he doesn't think Deshaun Shedd at least when the team parted ways with him in uh, 2017 offseason, was in like the best shape of his life compared to now. He says Correct. he came back now, and he, he might have needed the two years to come back. For sure. That ACL was a, a brutal injury, and it, it's different for every guy, right? So, I mean, Stacy, how do you feel about the secondary? I, I, I don't think it's going to be as bad, but I do have questions about it. What, what do you feel about I, it? I'm, I'm caught in between, and, and when I write about it, I – try to just focus on the talent that's there and mm-hmm. kind of evaluating that. But I think what makes it hard for any person covering this team is that it is really hard not to not just compare the group that they have to the to their predecessors, mm-hmm. um, a group of pro bowlers and all pros who cast a very big shadow, um, but also to the defensive philosophy of Pete Carroll and the defense that he likes to run. This isn't a coach that is satisfied with a middle-of-the-road defense, especially a middle-of-the-road secondary. At least he doesn't strike me as someone that does. Pete Carroll (laughs) strikes me as someone who would very much like the league's best secondary or at the very least would like a very disruptive defense. He's a defensive-minded coach. He sits in on those meetings. It's a position he's passionate about. And And How did you describe it this once, that – that uh, secondary and Pete Carroll is incomparable to make how Meghan Markle is to you in terms of importance. Yeah, right. Did I? It, yes, I, I believe you did make that comparison. So that I, makes sense. Where it's like, where where do is, I stop and where does she begin? Exactly. Like this is who this is. It is. Who it Pete is. Carroll is. And you have to think like someone. He's how old? Sixty six, sixty seven. Like 67. this has been part of his coaching identity. Again, like this is just my interpretation of Pete Carroll, but. But it's it's hard not to look at that context when you're evaluating this defense because if this was just a random defense on any random team, I think it would be a lot easier to look at uh, someone like Trey Flowers and say, wow. And yeah. I actually thought this and wrote this about Trey Flowers last year, which it felt like every week he took another step forward and he was so close to to just getting that pick. And I talked to him after the final home game last year, regular season game, and he – he looked like he almost uh, picked someone off. Um, was it against Arizona? Yeah. Final home game. And and we talked to him about it. Lydia Cruz and I were in there, and, and he knew it. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I really wanted that one. Um, but, yeah, it's I again, I, I agree. I think he's really close. He attacks the ball. There's lots of stuff to like there. There's lots of stuff to write about. There's lots of interesting storylines. It is just really hard not to constantly compare it not just to the group that was there, but to Pete Carroll's ideal defense. And so right. in that context, no, I don't think they sit in the bottom of the league as a group. How how weird would that be to talk about a Pete Carroll defense that sits in the bottom of the league as yeah. a secondary? Well, even even with their woes last year, I mean, you talk about their passing defense. It was 17th. That's not great. That's that's towards the middle of the road and, and not on the right end of the middle. But I, I believe that they're going to figure this thing out. They're going to be in the right place. And 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 look, when you talk about scoring defense in the mm-hmm. red zone, they started locking things down, and they did a great job in that area. And you don't do that by having a horrible secondary. 
So I think that there's room to grow with this with with this unit, and I believe that you're going to see that development overall. Hopefully with Shaq Griffin, hopefully with Trey Flowers, and I do believe you know that that Bradley McDougal is going to be there, but. I do believe that Deshaun Shedd is going to be a key piece of this thing and bring some needed stability and competition. Jake and I are going to try out a new segment next. It's going to be called Say What? <laughs> I just named it 20 minutes ago. <laughs> We're going to get it. We have, a, we have a ton of new sound from the interviews that we've had as a station today, yesterday, a lot of stuff from training camp, and there were some quotes uh, from players, from coaches that just made us stop and pause and and have a conversation. And so we picked some of our favorites, and we're going to tell you why they stuck with us next on Seattle Sports at Night. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I am Seahawks insider Stacy Rost here with the quarterback, Jake Heaps. Uh, as a reminder, at 845, we've got Ask Us Anything. You can text in any of your questions. It can be about Seahawks training camp, uh, Mariners, random questions. My favorite are the random questions that are like, <laughs> what's the absolute worst movie that you sat all the way through? Right. Mine was Next, starring Nicolas Cage. Really? Yep. Okay. Wow. Right Do off. Do not recommend it. Right off the top. Well, I, I just recently saw Lion King. That was amazing. Well, that's just saw, that's not even in the same with category. The fam. That was amazing. Yeah. So, you know, you went negative. I'm going to go positive. Did Jackson like it? Loved it. The, the funny thing is the, you know, the first introduction song the, that they first play. The song. The song. He sang that at the top of his lungs as soon as it came on. <laughs> But he only knows, like, the first part, like, the very first part. <laughs> I think part. most people do. So funny. So that was hilarious as the movie started. We're like, Say it with oh your gosh. chest, Jackson. Yeah, yeah. You know, he did in a big way. You can text those hilarious. questions in to the Coors Light text line at 710-710. Again, that's 710-710. We're going to get to those at 845 in about, mm, let's see, 30 minutes here-ish. 20 minutes? Yeah. Whatever. Look, like we talked about, math isn't my strong suit. Just text the Just any minute. Just text the Coors Coors Light text Come on, come on. Just do it. Um, So uh, Jake and I kind of thought of a new-ish segment. We haven't tried it out before, but um, we were looking at kind of the cuts we have in our library, and there were so many conversations that we started having about some of the sounds that we were hearing from our shows, from players at press conferences, at training camp. And after a while, we were like, well, why don't we just kind of pull them together? And they kind of sum up where our thoughts are with this team and, and things that kind of uh, make us pause and either ask questions or question the speaker or things that make us say, wow, this this really kind of got glossed over. But it's a really interesting point made yeah. by this coach or this player. So I'm going to let you kick it off. Okay. Uh, let's go to cut number one of, of Pete Carroll uh, talking about this offense and what he would like it to be. We want to run the heck out of the football. We love that part of the game, but we love everything that comes off of that. That is, as I've always told you, you know, the closing the circle of toughness is that, that phrase that, that makes us a complete team, but it's all the other aspects of your offense that come together. And we hopefully we're going to show you, you know, a wide, wide open attack that, that makes you have to defend the run and makes you have to defend Russell sitting back there bombing the football. So we want, we want to get the ball down the field and attack the heck out of it. That's a big deal to us. I'm not, I'm not real excited about dinking the ball around, you know, and just trying to move the football that way. Uh, we can, and we have the ability to do that, but I don't, I don't want to feature that. I don't think we get enough to the physical side of the game. So for Pete, I mean, he doesn't want, very clearly, he doesn't want to play a dink and dunk style of offense, which 
goes to mean that he doesn't want to have a pass-heavy offense, which goes to the chagrin of many uh, Seahawks fans, and especially on Twitter. So Y'all aren't happy to hear it. No. I know and, you're not, but it's interesting because, like you said, I mean, I, I want to hear your explanation for it, but I feel like it's passive-aggressive is not the word I'm looking for, but it's a comment about if we wanted to do that, we would, yeah. and we could. Right, exactly, and and if that's the vision that he had, they would go right with it, but that's not the Pete Carroll style of football. He wants to be great at uh, owning the line of scrimmage, being physical. He talks about the circle of toughness, and, and I think they want to be dynamic. They want to be dynamic in terms of running the football, and I think it showed very clearly last year, and Brian Schottenheimer did an amazing job of this last year, was when they passed, they were aggressive and they were extremely effective. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think that's what Pete Carroll loves to see, is that if you're going to pass the football, we are going to be in attack mode. We're not going to move the ball around dink and dunk. And, and You can think of a handful of plays, like the pass to David Moore in Carolina. That was a fourth down. And right, yes, on fourth down to essentially win the game, it it all but won the game for them. Correct, and and you know Russell's deep play action pass. Anytime he gets into that mode, you cannot help but get excited and wonder who is going to be on the who's going to be the guy who's getting past the secondary and be on the receiving end of a big play. You just expect that to happen. And I think those are the things that can happen more often and that they need to get to more often. So I don't believe Pete Carroll in saying this cut is saying we are going to run the ball. 53% of the time, I think what he's saying is we want to be very physical. We don't want to be a pass-oriented team first and just take short uh, intermediate passes. Mm-hmm. We want to, when we're going to a pass, we go, we are going to attack you and we're going to make you feel our presence uh, on both sides of it, run and pass. So I walked away from that and, and I think that they can get more dynamic as an offense in, in that approach play action or as I call it pass action <laughs> you had that moment on a other on a, on on a, a radio yeah. interview I did this morning I said pass action and then I just whoo so went close. right through it just keep going so close power through uh mine was uh Cody Barton spoke with reporters after practice today and something he said about versatility for linebackers stood out to me you know they teach us here you know you, your ex is on the field and so you're not just the mic all the time. You're not just the, you know what I mean? You've got to be able to, to be a good linebacker in all the spots. And so you got to be able to be interchangeable. So here's why it stands out to me. And Jake, I have a legitimate question for you. Uh, ben Arthur, who's a writer at the PI and I were um, watching practice, a lot of practice together. And both of us were kind of watching Cody Barton um, and wondering, he was at strong side today because Michael Kendricks uh, was sitting out as a just side note. Ken Norton Jr. says it it shouldn't be a serious injury and shouldn't keep him out for very long at all. It sounds like it was just kind of precautionary. But Cody Barton was uh, in at an outside linebacker spot. So my question is, my first interpretation of Cody Barton was that he would be kind of a middle linebacker of the future. But if you've just extended Bobby Wagner, who as much as the conversation about his contract went into like, well, he's, he's older, he's 29 years old and he just turned 29 years old. Yeah. He's not going anywhere anytime soon. But Cody Barton seems like a very intriguing rookie for this team. Do you let him just kind of sit behind Wagner? Do you find another spot for him? So mm-hmm. so what Wagner said is interesting, but I'm wondering how you think the team can use him. Yeah, look, this is a guy, I think with Cody Barton, it is very important that he has that philosophy. And I think just with Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright alone, those two guys are, 
when you talk about degrees of football knowledge, those guys have PhDs. And they love the game, and they want everybody underneath them to learn the game just as much as they do. And they are willing to teach. They're willing to show the way and how it's supposed to be done. And so hearing that from Cody Barton is music to my ears because, like Mm. you said, if everything goes right, if you're just playing middle linebacker, you're not going to be seeing the field for four years, five years, because Bobby's going to be holding that position down. Where he has an opportunity to get on the field is hopefully KJ stays healthy, but if he didn't, Cody could fill in that role at weak side linebacker. Michael Kendricks, uh, I believe that that's the role. When he initially got drafted, Stacy, that was the position I thought that Cody Barton could come and fill right away and bring competition to, at the time, Barkevious Mingo. Hmm. Barkevious Mingo is being moved to defensive end, um, and they're trying to get that uh, explosiveness of Barkevious Mingo off the edge. Um, and so right now, Michael Kendricks is really holding down that role and playing, and I love to see him at that spot. But I think Cody Barton can really, really do himself some service and, and get himself on the field if he really learns those three positions, and specifically uh, Sam Linebacker. I think that's a great way to get him on the field. Interesting. I didn't even think about Will, too, yeah. for him, with just without KJ there. I just assumed, well, Wright's there, and then what else do you do? But No doubt. Uh, look, the uh, the next, the, uh, I think it's a great point. I'm excited to see Cody Barton. It, Thank be you, more, Jake. Be more than a special teams player. That's what I that's what I would love to see because he's killing it in training camp so far. The next cut that uh, I had was uh, one that maybe people wouldn't really catch on to, but DK Metcalf talking about uh, his quarterback Russell Wilson. Uh, he's not really just a football player. I mean, he has a personality. He's a family man. Uh, just being around him, how he loves the game of football, he knows it in and out. He's a quarterback, but he knows the receiver position real well. I mean, just the little tips that he's giving me uh, really surprised. So he talked about what the question was, what surprised him about Russell Wilson? He said he's not just a football player. He has a personality. And and I think the funny thing is, is that there's a strong narrative out there that Russell's a robot. He gives robotic answers, this and that. And and I think there's, you know, some credence to that. But the fact that Russell and DK have developed this relationship, and I think from the outside looking in, you know, a guy like DK getting drafted, who knows what he thinks? He's just mm-hmm. seeing what he sees on TV and maybe – Okay, Russell's just a he's fo- he's an all football guy and you know no nonsense and all that. But as they develop that relationship, I think they've really struck a bond and and he's been able to see the other side of Russ and and see the 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 fun loving nature that he has and and so I think that goes to I, I love to hear that from DK and I love to see the relationship that those two guys are growing as well as Russell with everybody else uh, at the offensive skill position and offense in general. So I think. You're seeing Russ come more out of his shell, and and I think that's the part that you love to see and hear, and and DK obviously taking note of that. Well, and one of those positions, too, where that chemistry matters so much and developing that relationship early matters so much, too. Um, The second one I have was from Quentin Jefferson, who talked about where he thinks the defensive line stands, specifically defensive tackle. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're super deep. You know, through no, like, tackle. Like, we have 17 guys now, like, in the room. Like, our room is packed, literally packed. You know what I'm saying? But with that comes competition. And guys knowing that they're going to be given the opportunity to play that may not have seen a lot of reps, you know, I said, I just want to see guys just grasp it. So I'm just, right now, it's fun to see everybody compete. So here's what I have to say about it. Yes. I think that there is, I I just wonder like where the gray area is, which sounds like a very vague thing to say. But what I mean is I think that internally a lot of players are, are around these guys, see the hard work they put in and 
Jaron Reed is serving the six-game suspension. Obviously, he's going to be gone. You're looking at who you have in his place. And and the guys there see a lot of talent. They see Puna Ford. Um, they see all these guys who are, are pitting in the work. Earl Mitchell and exactly. Al Woods. And, yeah. um, on the outside, the narrative is the opposite, that they just have no one. So I wonder yes. if the truth is kind of somewhere in the middle or if um, the guys that are there, like Quentin Jefferson, are – are onto something and saying, look, you haven't seen it yet because the offseason just isn't a time for a defense to shine. You can't make plays on the ball. You can't sack people. True. And and maybe once the, if not the preseason, the regular season starts, you'll see some of that. And, I mean, hopefully Seahawks fans do see it because they won't have Jaron Reed. Sure. In, in terms of an optimistic point of view, I think that's a great way to look at it. I but, tried to But in reality, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how to look at it. In reality, I look at this and go, okay, from everybody on the outside looking in, there's a clear reason to be worried. And the thing that you're talking about, you know, or at least uh, Quentin is talking about, that there is a ton of competition. Yes, there are a lot of bodies, and there's there's a lot of bodies for a reason. Is because they need competition. They need somebody to step up. And I hope Quentin, going into year four, is ready to take another leap. He had three sacks last year and hope he can have an uptick in production um, heading into his contract year. And and there's a lot of guys that they're looking at. Earl Mitchell, Al Woods, Puna Ford. Uh, you got Jamie Meter. You got Quentin Jefferson. I mean, there's a lot of guys at that yeah. defensive tackle position. And you're just hoping that with competition, they strive together uh, and, and they help each other become better football players, and they show that throughout camp now that they're starting to put the pads on. Full pads come on tomorrow. Let's go. And and that we start getting into that more physical side of it, that we can see this emerge. And, uh, you know, the Seahawk group, they need people to step up, and, and they're going to need it moving forward. All right, Jake, what do you got? You're going you're gonna to have to finish this one up. Yeah, a, a real quick one. I, I, I want to play the cut of Pete Carroll. I think this is really important to note. Uh, Pete Carroll talking about the involvement of owner Jody Allen. Jody once again was so supportive and and uh, and strong about her you know her you know, her feeling about it. She recognized these guys as players that she was happy to have them be the highest paid player at their position. You know she 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 recognized their value to the program and so she she set the you know she set us uh, with the supportive mode that really allowed John and Matt to get this thing done. Uh, to me, that's huge news. I mean, we were at a point with Paul Allen's passing that we did not know what the future of this team was going to be. And this team could still get sold, but ultimately, as of right now, Jody Allen has, by in all accounts, uh, been very active in the Seahawks uh, and has been very involved in, in terms of the two biggest contracts that have ever been given in this, in this uh, franchise's history and also compared to the NFL, setting the market in terms of quarterbacks for Russell Wilson, setting the market with linebacker Bobby Wagner, and Jody Allen understanding and recognizing the great talents that these guys are and also being heavily involved in the process. And to me, when you talk about ownership and talking about the state of the Seahawks, it fires me up to hear that she's involved, she's active, and that she is taking care of this franchise. And so to me, that is very powerful news and one that I'm excited about because that means there is great stability for this organization. I like this segment. I think I'm going to keep it. Yeah, let's do it. I don't mind it. It's a good one. I'll say what. Uh, ESPN picked the top bounce-back candidates for all 32 NFL teams. Who'd they pick for Seattle? That's next on Seattle Sports at Night. Live from the Alaska Airlines studio, this is Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Rost on 710 ESPN Seattle. 
Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. I am Seahawks insider Stacey Ross here with the quarterback, Jake Heaps. As a reminder, uh, you can text your questions for Ask Us Anything to the Coors Light text line at 710-710. Already seeing some good ones. I like them. Jake, don't look. No spoilers, please. Okay. <laughs> but they're good. <laughs> you can keep texting those uh, anytime during this segment. I'll go ahead and collect them uh, and, and kind of save them on my little Word document. Um, ESPN and Pro Football Focus, Jake, came up with their list of a bounce-back candidate, their top bounce-back candidate for all 32 NFL teams. Um, I would have you guess who they said for Seattle, but you might get it. Okay. So at the risk of ruining my own intro, I'm going to tell you who they said. Okay. They said cornerback Shaquille Griffin. So uh, from Pro Football Focus, they mentioned that the, his rookie year, and he was a big reason that they allowed Richard Sherman to head to San Francisco, just the faith they had in him. He gave up only 110 yards after the catch in his primary coverage, something he did extremely well at UCF. And he held opposing quarterbacks to just a 75.2 passer rating when targeted. But that number jumped to 101.2 last year. And he's the Seahawks' number one corner for the foreseeable future, and obviously we'll need to improve that. Um, ESPN's Brady Henderson, contributing to this report, said that Griffin has talked openly about how he overextended himself at times last season, and that might have been a factor in some of the big plays he gave up, which is something he mostly avoided during his rookie season. So it was also just this increase of you're moving to left corner, and all of a sudden you're getting targeted for against their best receiver usually. Yeah. Um, and again, this is something that Shaquille joined Bob Gross and Tom on our airwaves in an interview and graded himself a D and said a similar thing. He just said, my mindset wasn't in the right place and he wasn't as focused as he would have liked to be on the team as a whole and was just kind of thinking of making sure that you do this job and you do your stats and you do this. And he's like, I just need to focus on whatever I need right. to do to help everyone. So well, that's that's he gave himself a D. Yeah. And I think that part of it, when you look at that, is, okay, you're putting way too much expectations on yourself. And you you know that they cut Richard Sherman, and you know that the expectation is that you can replace that production and that role. And those are huge shoes to fill, right? Yeah. And so I could see a player in that situation psyching themselves out and saying that they need to get big splash plays and they need to uh, go over the top. And, and that got him into trouble, big-time trouble. And you had moments where third and 15 versus uh, the Chargers last year and Phillip Rivers is completing, completing it on third down to a guy who's wide open. Why? Because because Shaq Griffin is out of his coverage responsibility because he's trying to do somebody else's job and make a play instead of just doing his job that would allow him to make the play uh, and, and make Phillip Rivers maybe hit the check down or something else. And so that's where, you know, I think for him, he's come to the realization of, okay, let's just do my job, do it to the best of my abilities, and everything's going to work out. And on top of that, he has gone out of his way to make sure that physically he's in the best shape that he can possibly True. be. And he said during last year that there were times that physically he was worn down during games, and it, and it came down to his his weight. It came down to him playing at a healthy weight, him being in the best condition that he could possibly be. And so this offseason, he made necessary changes. By changing his diet, he lost 11 pounds or so. Mm-hmm. And, and he looks like to, he looks in great shape. He looks like he's able to uh, sustain that high level of play throughout an entire practice. And I think those are positive things moving forward. And if this team 
is going to make a jump, Stacy. If they're going to continue to go on an upward trajectory, they need Shaq Griffin to reclaim his prior performance as a rookie. I mean, even if he played as a rookie, his level as a rookie, this team would be in great shape. And when you talk about how close is this team to a Super Bowl, they are still in that retooling phase right now. You don't know what this team is ultimately going to be because you're relying on such young players and unknowns. And if those guys can step up, then great. You're that much closer to a Super Bowl. And I'm telling you right now that the that the way that this future is set up for the Seahawks in terms of their cap space going into 2020 and 2021, they're in an amazing situation. And guys like Shaq Griffin, if he can raise his level of play, mm-hmm. can help him be that much closer to a Super Bowl. And and it, and this is an interesting time for him because this is make or break in terms of his Seahawk future as well. The concept of being in that retooling phase is interesting too because they've managed to help rebuild significant portions of their roster while, with the exception of one season, um, maintaining 10-win seasons. Yes. So I think that sometimes that's lost on people. I remember Danny O'Neill writing about this, how impressive it was that John Schneider was able to uh, rebuild parts of this roster, keep it afloat, and then kind of come back to the playoffs in a year where people were expecting them to just fall into NFC oblivion. Yes. Essentially, with the exception of still having a franchise quarterback and a one of the best defensive players in the league. But other than that, people thought, and I still think part of that national narrative is that they don't really have a, much else. I would disagree, but I think that that is the outside perspective. So it's interesting that you say that, the and, idea of still being in that building phase. Yeah, and, and they're not wrong. That's the thing is that the critiques that are out there, the questions about this team, they are not wrong for pointing those things out. And yeah. from an outsider perspective, like you keep saying, you would look at this roster in certain spots and say they don't have much there. And that's where we're as Seahawk fans who or you know members of the media that are here – that are watching this team closely and understand what this program is all about. And yes, I say program instead of a franchise, an organization, because that's how Pete Carroll runs it. And it sounds cooler. <laughs> uh, that's that's for Pete Carroll. That's how he believes this thing should be run. And for Shaq, he had a sophomore slump going into his junior gear, so to speak. And he believes that he can recapture and get his trajectory back on track in terms of where he can be and where his ceiling is in this league and so uh for Shaq we know we know what his I guess what his floor is and we're wondering what his ceiling can be Mm. can his ceiling be a frontline corner starting corner in this league or is it in a middle of the road corner that can be reliable that's what we're trying to figure out and with Shaq Griffin we're hoping that his ceiling is towards the top of this league and that his talent level is there and and ultimately he's going to answer a lot of questions for us come this season. And you don't have to be Richard Sherman to help them get back to another Super Bowl. It was nice that Seattle had several All-Pros on defense. Mm-hmm. I don't know if if you need that many, if you need him to be Richard Sherman to get there. All right, coming up next, we're going to uh, take all your questions for Ask Us Anything. As a reminder, you can text those to the Coors Light text line 710-710. That's next on Seattle Sports at Night. You're listening to Seattle Sports at Night with Curtis Rogers, Jake Heaps, and Stacy Rost. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to Seattle Sports at Night. Seahawks insider Stacy Ross joined by the quarterback Jake Heaps. Last segment here. My, well, one of my favorites. 
You know, I like the Say What segment still. Yeah, but it's pretty good. I still I think liked that, it. I think that one's going to be here to stay for but it's sure. it's hard to top Ask Us Anything. You can text those questions to the Coors Light text line at 710-710. Jake. Yes. From the 813. Shout out, 813. What actor or actress can't play a different character because they played their most famous character too well? Um, I actually... During the break, I said mm-hmm. Reese Witherspoon, but I didn't answer the question correctly. I just said because no matter who she's playing, I just see Reese Witherspoon. My actual answer is Jeff Bridges, the dude. I will only ever see him as the dude. <laughs> he, he is no one else. Even he did a commercial, and it's just the dude. It's true. That That is a pretty good one. I would say there's two guys that come to mind. They're both comedians. Okay. Is one Zach Galifianakis. Yes. Like, I mean, In the hangover? like the hangover role. Like, That's who he, he can't is can't overcome now. that. Like. Any role that I see him play or in any movie, it's like, he's got to live up to that. I don't know who he is in real life because that is how I see him. Correct. And that's how I see him generally in all of his interviews and all that. So, and the other person is Will Ferrell. Like, Will Ferrell is his, like, he <laughs> plays the same type of character in every movie he does. And it's, yes. And I love it. But that's kind of, the, it's like not one specific character. Like, it's not like just from Step Brothers, although that's the one I most closely associate. But he's just always, <laughs> yes, all of his characters are kind of the same person, but you're okay with it. Crazy and over the top. And yes, I, I love it. Uh, let's see. From the 253, can you guys please tell me who do you think the offense can carry? Oops, I read this wrong. Do you think the offense can carry the defense this year? I'm not saying overtake it. I'm just saying do more than it has in the past. Well, I'm going to say it's going to overtake it. Ooh. I know that this deep, this has been a defensive-minded team for a long time, but this is the first time in this era, in Pete Carroll's era, that this is going to be an offensive-minded team. And doesn't mean that they're not that he's going to change his philosophy. It's still going to be a run-first oriented team. It's still going to be a game that is focused on trying to keep the game close, but this offense is going to be the thing that carries this team uh, as of right now. And last year they did as well. And I, I, looking at this roster, this is an offensive-driven team, and you're yeah. hoping that the offense can score uh, more points and outlast the opponent. And you're going to probably see quite a few shootouts like you saw last year. I was wondering that too. Like, how many games are you going to have that's like the game against the Houston Texans, where it's just basically the last person to get the ball is right. going to win? And that's and that those were the last two Rams games as well. I mean, they were high scoring affairs. So I, I think that you're going to see quite a few of those types of games. The eight one three says both excellent answers. I a hundred percent agree with Will Ferrell. Great show, guys. Oh, thank you. Thank you, 813. Uh, 425 says Jon Snow. Yes, I can't <laughs> believe I didn't think about this. Jake, you don't watch Game of Thrones, do you? No, I don't. I will only ever see Kit Harrington as Jon Snow. True. He'll never be anyone else. And uh, 425 also says McLovin. Yes. You cannot... I, I don't know what else you could see him in. I mean, I, I saw him in Role Models and it was still the same character to it's me. Just, that's saw, who he is. I saw McLovin the whole time. I so. still think he has a fake ID. <laughs> Jake, what made you cool when you were younger in school, but it would be very uncool now as an adult? Um... Showing up late? Uh, okay, I was going right. to say not caring. Not Just caring? Just in general. Okay. Like, like anything, when you were younger, and I don't know if this is how kids are now. Kids are now. We're so far away. <laughs> um, I don't know if this is how it is now, but I feel like just in general, not caring, being really lazy, really rude, 
it made you the coolest person. Like, you think right. of, like, the most popular kid in class, which shockingly wasn't me, but... Like, I think of the kid in, in my high school that was the most popular kid, and it's like, he just didn't care. And yeah. as an adult, you'd be like, this guy's the worst. Yeah, this guy Why is, does he work here? This guy's a loser. Get this, him out of here. Right, yeah. It's funny how things change once you go from high school to real life. I was just thinking about, or we, I think we were talking about that about a month ago, about how just the smallest little things in high school seemed like the world. And now you look back at it, you're like, Gosh, that was stupid. Like, that's so dumb. What would you, what, here's a question for you. Okay. Do you think you could go back now with your and mindset thrive? now? Yes. And go to high school and thrive. And Absolutely. Oh, Do you think yes. you could raise above the drama or do you think you get sucked I would, back into no, it? No, I would control the drama. <laughs> <laughs> I would go back and I would be Regina George-esque. I would know oh exactly how to gosh. control and manipulate everyone so you around wouldn't, me. So you wouldn't rise and above it. And I would it. finally would... become homecoming queen. <laughs> You would create it. Yes. Oh I would my create gosh. it. I would uh, water it, maybe. Got it. Got um, it. Jake, I don't know what you're going to say to this. Is it weird that 1990 was almost 30 years ago? You weren't born. 1990s. Almost 1990s. 30. But think about that's that. Crazy. Because you, when you were you born, 91 or 92? 91. 91. Yeah. So that's still. That's crazy. Yeah, it's I mean, really weird. It is really weird to think about that because those were during the prime years, and it's it's weird now. You know, you think about like older older people used to ask you about like certain TV shows and video games yes. or whatever, and you're like, I don't know what that was, and they freak out like, what? Now I feel like I'm in that position now where getting to the age where kids have no idea what I I'm know. talking about. It's or it's you a ask weird feeling. And you're like, oh, I was interviewing. Speaking of Rasheem Green. I was interviewing him today, and I was like, well, what are you doing in your spare time? And he said he plays a lot of video games, which, like, any 20-something-year-old kid loves video games. Yeah. And I didn't know what video game to ask, so I was like, oh, like, like Fortnite? <laughs> and it's like, Fortnite isn't even cool anymore. I mean, some people still play it, but it's he didn't tell me that. But it was some different game that I didn't understand. Gotcha. Um, but another thing we talked about is, so I'm... Seven years older than him. And you know what's weird is I'm convinced that some networks like Nickelodeon and Disney play a lot of the same shows. Yeah. Because he said that he watched a lot of the same shows that you or I did growing up, which is insane. Right. But he's at so the, much younger. But at his time, they were probably late night reruns. That's Where the for thing. us, they were prime. Yes. <laughs> That's the difference. For us, it was like, here we go. Oh, Can't yes. wait. Just home from school. Yep. Home from school, five o'clock, about to watch this. And, and he's sitting there going, it's 10 at night, 11 at night, midnight. Hey, Arnold's on. That's right. Time for a throwback. Exactly. Jake, what knowledge that you have? Think of some random knowledge that you've learned might okay. save your life one day. Random knowledge. I said um, not drinking salt water. Ooh, I don't that's... know why I would drink salt water, but I'm just saying, like, you know not to drink it. Knowledge. Sure. sure. Um, yeah. Also, uh, just to never eat berries that you see in the wild after watching yes. In the Wild, Into the Wild. That's, that's Never a... eat berries that you find. That is very, very smart. Very smart. Just don't eat things that you find outside. <laughs> That's weird. Go to a McDonald's. <laughs> like a normal person. Yeah, I'm going to take you. Yeah, that's going to be good. Survival in the woods with Stacy would not be good. No, we would Be last, doomed instantly. I would lead our office into the woods, and it would be a doomed mission. Oh. I would be like, I don't know. We're just walking around trying to find an Arby's. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know where to go. Uh, honestly, I don't know. I don't know what. Jake. 
don't know. What's I don't a, have. Did you, were you ever I'm a not a scout? survivalist. I, I don't know. How long do you think you could last in the wild? Uh, if we dropped you into in Washington State, but like a wooded region, okay, and you have to survive Five. ideally. I think I could last. I don't know. You have exactly two, what's on you now. I think, I think I could last two weeks. Two weeks? Yeah, I think I could last two weeks. What are you going to eat? I don't know. I'd find something. I think like if I'm in that environment, I'm in that role, I think I'm the type of person that just kind of surrounds my, like I get into some my surroundings and okay. the environment I'm in and I just go all in in that. So I think I could, I think I could do it. It'd be funny it, if you did it, that after like two minutes. It wouldn't like, be pretty. <laughs> It like, wouldn't be pretty. Jake, we aren't lost yet. Why are you trying to build a fire? We're just waiting yeah. for the Uber. I, I'm the two-time handyman. And what I mean by that is, like, anything around the house, like, I I'll, I might be able to do it. I might be able to fix it or put it together, but it's going to take me two times. Like, <laughs> like Ikea furniture, I'm going to put it together, and at the end, I'm going to realize that I put it together they wrong. They These two, the, the last two steps, I screwed it up, okay. which is which screws up the whole thing. So I got to put it I got to break it all down and put it back together. So it's always going to take me twice to do it. And unfortunately, in the woods, probably one time failure is not going to be a <laughs> not good the thing. Way you want. Yes. Last question. Last question. What's the most idiotic thing you did as a kid? Most idiotic? Mm, yeah, not going to tell that one. What? Uh, no. Um, not, not radio safe. Not going to say that one. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you about it in about two minutes. <laughs> um. Let's see. Uh, probably not the smartest thing that I did as a kid. Like, I mean, like toddler, toddler is yeah. like uh, saw school bus that my sister was going to. And I was like, as a toddler, I don't know why clothing was very optional to me. So it's just like rip it off. And I went down. I mean, talking about like all the way into the end of the street to the school bus. Oh my God. And you were just free as a bird. Just free as a bird. I was, wow. I was like two years old, so give me a break. Okay, Jake. Two. I was very free at that age. <laughs> you were just, hey, kids, what's up? That's right. Yeah, I, yeah. That's. I'm going to just go ahead and end it with that one. There you go. Well, you guys, thank you for tuning in to another Seattle Sports at Night. You asked. <laughs> you, you asked. Jake answered. I am Seahawks insider Stacy Ross here with Jake Heaps. Thanks again for listening to 710 ESPN Seattle.